Let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namo tassa bhagavato ahahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato ahahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato ahahato samma sambuddhasa So tonight is the last talk on the bhujangas, the enlightenment factors. And maybe it's because I'm talking about the Bojangas um, that this meditation center has become a Satipatthana hospital, <laughs> having many patients suffering from a cold. <laughs> but they should soon recover from it. Two days ago, I talked about the enlightenment factors of tranquility and concentration. And so tonight it's about the last of these seven enlightenment factors, the enlightenment factor of equanimity, Upeka Sambhujanga. And when this factor of equanimity is well developed, when it is strong, then the noting is balanced and goes easily. So meditators do not need to make any extra or special effort to be mindful. So when equanimity is present and uh, strongly developed, then this is a state of ease. It's a balanced uh, state of, man, uh, of mind and any lack is filled in and any excess is reduced. And this factor of equanimity or this quality of equanimity, when we speak in Dhamma terms, like according to the Abhidhamma, as a mental factor, it's the mental factor called Tatra Macha Tata. Long word. And this mental factor of Tata Macha Tata um, actually literally means there in the middle or expressed differently uh, neutrality a neutral balanced state of mind and so now let's have a look at equanimity in regard to its characteristic function manifestation and proximate cause. Equanimity has the characteristic of balancing. So this characteristic of balancing refers to the fact that equanimity balances the consciousness and the mental factors. So it balances citta and the citta sikhas. 
And in balancing consciousness and the Cheta Sikhans, it prevents the, ma prevents the mind from falling to e either side, from falling to this side or to that side. And so equanimity keeps the mind in the middle, so it's a balanced state. And the classical uh, example is this. It's like a farmer who easily drives a good ox cart on a smooth path. Like the two oxes, they pull evenly and also the load on the cart is placed evenly. And so, in this case, the farmer uh, does not need uh, to pull the reins too strongly because one ox is uh, pulling to either one side or the other ox pulling to the other side. And so, the farmer can hold the reins lightly and drive the cart easily. Here in Australia, I have not come across ox carts. <laughs> it's not a common sight. In Burma, it, is, it still is. Ox carts are a very common sight. Not so much in Yangon, but as soon as one goes outside of Yangon, one will see many ox carts driving, driving along the path. So here, uh, the example could be uh, transformed to driving a good car on a good road, on a smooth road, like driving on a freeway, where one can drive quite uh, relaxed because yeah, the traffic flows quite uh, smoothly and easily. Driving a car in Burma, in Yangon, is altogether a different story. Whenever I arrive in Burma and uh, being picked up at the airport, as soon as I drive or as the car drives out of the airport, I am very aware I have arrived in Burma because immediately the ride gets very bumpy. <laughs> Many potholes in the roads and also the traffic is not so orderly more chaotic and there might be dry shores uh, in the street and also people crossing the streets everywhere, anytime. So a driver in uh, Yangon, in Burma, has to be on alert constantly, all the time, so there is no time to relax and have an easy drive. So, for a meditator, when equanimity is present and strongly developed, then the meditation seems to go quite smoothly and easily without exerting uh, too much effort. Then to the function of equanimity. Equanimity has the function to prevent deficiency and excess, or test the function to prevent impartiality. 
Now, to prevent partiality, because it's an impartial uh, state. It's impartial, so it does not lean to either side. And if one of the mental factors is excessive, then equanimity will uh, reduce it. But if one of the mental factors becomes diminished or too weak, then equanimity will strengthen it or rise it. And so the enlightenment factor of equanimity, it stays in the middle and it balances the consciousness and the mental factors so that none of them are either too strong or excessive or too lax, too weak. Although con equanimity acts to balance the consciousness and the mental factors, there is no excessive effort needed to do this. The mind is in a state of great ease and comfort. Then the manifestation of equanimity. So equanimity manifests as a state of neutrality or as a state of balance. <coughs> and in the practice of vipassana meditation we can come to experience this balanced uh, state of mind. And this balanced state of mind can be compared to a pair of scales. So if, no if nothing is placed on either pan of the scale, then the beam rests horizontally. And in the same way, when equanimity is uh, present, then the mind is well balanced. When this quality of equanimity is present in the mind and when it's well developed, then it seems to the meditators that the meditation or the noting goes as if by itself. Meditators do not seem to uh, need to put a lot of effort in their practice in order to be able to observe and note the objects. It runs quite easily and smoothly, as if by itself. And this This state of easy observing without putting uh, extra or special effort into the practice becomes especially distinct and apparent in the inside knowledge of equanimity towards formation. This is the state Sankarupekanyana. Besides equanimity, that in that stage mindfulness 
as well as concentration and insight are very strong and well developed and so for that meditators do not need to make any special effort to observe the objects and because of that then also the mind the noting mind is concurrent with the objects as they arise in the body and the mind and sometimes and in that stage the meditation can go so effortlessly so easily that it seems to the meditators that they are just sitting there without doing nothing and then meditators wonder oh, am I still meditating? <laughs> am I still being mindful? and this state of great ease and comfort in observing the objects initially happens uh, for a few minutes but when this Sankarupe Kanyana is well developed then meditators can uh, note in this great ease and comfort for 10 minutes or 20 minutes <coughs> or later uh, they can maintain it for half an hour or even an hour Equanimity is of different kinds and in the Visuddhimagga and the commentaries ten different kinds of equanimity are mentioned and last week or this week, earlier this week uh, in introducing Upeka as a Brahma Vihara I mentioned some of these forms of equanimity and so now I want to explain them a little bit uh, in more details so these ten kinds of equanimity are uh, the sixfold equanimity then equanimity as a divine abode equanimity as an enlightenment factor equanimity as specific neutrality equanimity of the jhana equanimity of purification the equanimity about insight equanimity about formations the equanimity of energy and equanimity as a feeling so these are the ten kinds of equanimity let's go first to the equanimity the sixfold equanimity in Pali this is called Jalang Upeka and so this Jalang Upeka refers to the equanimity with regard to the six senses like the equanimity with regard to forms seen by the eye sounds heard by the ear odors smelled by the nose tastes tasted by the tongue uh, touching sensations experienced by the body and thoughts experienced by the mind 
And so with a constant and uninterrupted awareness that prevents the mind from falling prey to either desire or aversion. And so the mind can stay uh, neutral or balanced. And this neutral or balanced state in regard to the six senses, this is called Jalang Upeka. And this kind of equanimity um, happens especially at the Sankahopekanyana, like the inside knowledge of equanimity towards formation. And when meditators reach this stage, then they can experience for themselves that at that time there is just seeing or hearing or smelling, tasting, touching or thinking. Observing any of these uh, objects through one of these sense doors, the experience is not accompanied by any desire or anger, aversion. Meditators are just aware of the different objects that arise at the different sense doors. Then the next kind of equanimity is equanimity as a divine abode or the Brahma Viharas. And so this is called Brahma Viharupika and so this refers to equanimity upeka as one of the four divine abides, abidings. And as we know, that's loving kindness, metta, compassion, karuna, sympathetic joy, mudita, and equanimity, upeka. As we have been uh, developing, these four Brahma Viharas, I won't say uh, very much about these different states, just briefly. The practice of loving kindness, Metta, is the cultivation of the wish for living beings to be happy and well. This means it is a benevolent attitude towards all living beings without exceptions, without discrimination. Then the second of these Brahma Viharas, Karuna. So the practice of compassion is the cultivation of the wish for living beings to be free from suffering, be that mental suffering or physical suffering. So it's this heartfelt wish that living beings be free from pain or distress. And the third one is mudita. And so the practice of sympathetic joy is the cultivation of the wish that living beings um, may not be deprived of their good fortune, wealth, or favorable condition, or that their good fortune uh, wealth and so on 
do not diminish or be destroyed but rather that they increase and are multiplied and in regard to sympathetic joy or mudita Sayadaw Uindaka has said that mudita is indeed a very uh, exquisite mental state without spending any money and without exerting too much effort one can gain a lot of merit by simply rejoicing in another person's uh, good fortune and it makes both persons happy well the person that is already uh, joyful or delighted about his or her good fortune and also by simply rejoicing in it we also uh, get joyful, happy and delighted or as one meditator uh, described it rejoicing in another person's good fortune and happiness is like borrowing that person's uh, happiness and joy and so then one borrows it and one then rides on this wave of joy and happiness and the fourth of the Brahma Viharas is Upeka and this practice of equanimity is the contemplation that all living beings are the owners of their karma the owners of their actions or deeds understanding that all living beings fare according to their deeds that deeds follow them as the wheel of the cart follows the hoof of the ox and so developing these four qualities um, is very helpful in our day-to-day -day life and so depending on the situation we can apply uh, one of these qualities generally speaking um, when we meet with a person or any living being then we should treat this person or living being with respect and kindness so uh, treat this person with a heart full of loving kindness when somebody is in distress or suffering a great pain then one should help and assist this person with compassion when, a, when somebody is doing very well or experiences lots of joy and happiness then with a joy with a heart full of sympathetic joy we can simply rejoice in that person's good fortune if none of these three uh, qualities seems to be uh, possible or appropriate in meeting with a person or uh, a living being then uh, we can resort 
to develop equanimity, upeka. We can do so by reflecting that this person or this being is the owner of his or her deeds, her uh, or his karma. The first three qualities of metta, karuna and mudita are very noble and divine qualities but because there is still a certain amount of uh, concern or sympathy uh, with the other person or being, the mind does not get completely calm, still or stable. And also when we uh, associate uh, with other being with other beings within the framework of loving kindness, metta or compassion, karuna, then we may come to to our limit and we also may be attached to the idea that in helping uh, this person with metta or karuna uh, then the person should get well or the problem should be solved or we may expect the other person to show his or her gratitude uh, of our help or assistance but then if we don't get this expected gratitude in return we may react with frustration or resentment and so if we fall prey to these uh, unwholesome mental states then that's clearly an indication that we should resort to develop equanimity so simply reflecting on the fact that this person and all living beings are the uh, owners of their deeds of their karma and so with the development of upeka, equanimity, then there is no longer this uh, concern or this degree of sympathy uh, with the person and so then the mind can reach a state uh, of greater stillness, calmness and stability. Then another form of equanim equanimity is uh, the equanimity of the jhana, jhanupika. And this uh, refers to either the fourth or fifth uh, jhana. Like in the sutta, the jhanas are divided into four uh, levels. In the Abhidhamma, however, uh, five levels of jhana jhanas are distinguished. And so, if we go with the Abhidhamma system, then when we practice either metta, karuna or mudita, one can reach up to the fourth jhana. Because, and these uh, jhanas, like then they, they have piti as a factor um, of the jhanas or 
sukha, happiness. And as long as piti is present or sukha, then the mind cannot get to that uh, deeper level of calmness and stillness. And it's only with the last jhana, the fifth jhana, uh, which one can go uh, a bit deeper, because in the fifth jhana, sukha, happiness, is no longer present, but instead equanimity and one-pointedness are present as jhana factors. And so that's when the mind uh, becomes more deeply absorbed uh, into the object. And so this kind of equanimity being experienced in the fifth jhana is referred to as jhanupeka. And so this kind of equanimity can be experienced by a samatha a meditator. When we practice vipassana meditation, we do not uh, enter the jhanas, but when the mindfulness uh, becomes quite strong and sharp by uh, observing all the objects that arise and come and so when the mindfulness and concentration become so strong that uh, mindfulness flows easily uh, almost effortlessly that means when equanimity is present then meditators can be simply aware of the objects that are arising in body and mind and being simply aware of the objects arising, disappearing and not reacting with anger or desire so the mind then becomes uh, very balanced it stays there in the middle and so this leads also to uh, stillness and calmness in the mind and with that level of equanimity, stillness and calmness in the mind, uh, the mind becomes more refined and as I uh, mentioned a bit earlier, then meditators wonder uh, whether they are still meditating or whether they are still being mindful. And so this ha can happen in the Sankarupekanyana. Uh, inside knowledge of equanimity towards uh, formation and so this still calm and balanced uh, state of mind is the equanimity uh, experienced by a vipassana meditator and although this state is not called jhana its nature is very much the same Then another kind of equanimity is the equanimity as specific neutrality, tatramacca tupeka, 
And this kind of equanimity is a form of equanimity that only occurs in the mind of a vipassana meditator. This one doesn't occur in a samatha meditator. So when my, uh, mindfulness has become quite continuous and unbroken, then meditators can observe objects uh, as they are, whether they arise in the sitting meditation or the walking meditation or while being aware of the daily activities. And so meditators start to realize the specific and general characteristics of these objects. So for example, when observing the rising movement of the, of the abdomen, then meditators become aware of this rising movement and they also become aware of the mind that notes this rising movement. And the same happens with observing the falling movement or sensations of heat or tingling or pressure. And so meditators become aware that there is this dual process, like there are physical uh, objects arising, rising movement, heat or tingling, and there is the mind being aware of it or noting it. So becoming aware that there are physical phenomena, uh, objects in the body, and that there are mental phenomena, uh, of uh, mental processes, processes happening in the mind. And so this initial insight of discerning mental and physical phenomena is the, uh, is the first of the insight knowledges. Nama Rupa Parajitanyana, the insight knowledge discerning mental and physical phenomena. And when meditators continue with their practice, then they realize that with the appearance of the rising movement, for example, then there also arises the mind that notes that rising movement. So they see that a certain object in the body causes something to arise in the mind, namely uh, the noting mind or observing mind. And the same happens uh, with other uh, objects in the same way. So they can come to see this cause and effect relationship. And this is just one way of how this insight knowledge discerning cause and effect uh, arises. That's Pachya Parikahanyana. And so during these first two stages of insight knowledge, one must still exert some effort to observe the objects. And the mind is not yet very calm and still. Sometimes meditation seems to go a bit better and so then the mind settles a bit more and 
so the mind becomes a bit calmer and more still but usually this only happens for short periods of time it doesn't last long and so the nature of this form of a still and calm mind is called tatramachatupeka like this equanimity as specific neutrality then two other forms of equanimity are equanimity as insight and equanimity as the enlightenment factors vipassanupeka and bojangupeka so after these two initial stages of insight knowledge when meditators continue to be mindful observing objects as they really are then they begin to see the disappearance of those objects for example meditators then come to see that the rising movement of the abdomen has an end that uh, it comes uh, to a stop and then disappears and they may also see that when the rising movement has disappeared the mind which was noting this rising movement had also disappeared and so with this the third insight knowledge starts to arise the insight knowledge of clear comprehension samasana jnana but at that stage to see the arising and disappearance of objects meditators still must exert uh, some effort to be able to do so and although meditators put effort or put a lot of effort into observing these objects still the arising and disappearance of these objects is not yet perceived very clearly and so then in regard to these experiences of impermanence or seeing their unsatisfactory nature and kind of seeing their impersonal nature because it's not yet seen and experienced very clearly meditators tend to have a lot of thoughts wandering minds thinking about the practice wondering uh, whether their experience uh, is correct or not or what has been vaguely seen is really so or not and so because there is this uh, wondering and thinking about uh, the experience uh, there is no equanimity yet in the mind the mind is not balanced but then when meditators proceed to the next stage of insight knowledge which is the insight knowledge of uh, arising and passing away so then when that uh, stage is well developed or mature then meditators uh, see the arising and disappearance of all objects very clearly and very distinctly 
and with that the practice gains momentum and meditators usually don't need to put so much effort anymore into their practice or in observing uh, these uh, objects constantly arising and passing away and they can come to a stage where this um, observing becomes quite effortlessly goes quite easily and because now objects are experienced more clearly, more distinctly the experience becomes really clear and sharp so then there is no more doubt about this experience and so then the thoughts and uh, wandering mind of the previous stage uh, diminish and uh, completely disappear and so with that the mind has become much more equanimous and it's no longer as partial as it was in the previous stage and so then this uh, state is called equanimity as insight or vipassanupeka and actually the equanimity as uh, enlightenment factor Bojangupeka uh, is the same as I mentioned earlier this uh, also equanimity as an enlightenment factor uh, starts to arise in the fourth stage of insight knowledge then it becomes the true enlightenment factor of equanimity and another form of equanimity is Sankarupeka and this is the equanimity towards formations and so with the further practice meditators go through a series of other insight knowledges and then eventually get to the insight knowledge of equanimity towards formation that's the eleventh insight knowledge Sankarupeka Jnana and so at that stage meditators can observe all Sankaras conditioned phenomena with great ease and comfort so then the mind is completely balanced and non-reactive so at that state the mind is neither liking pleasant objects nor disliking unpleasant objects there is this almost perfect balance of mind equanimity and the mind is simply aware of the different objects arising at the six sense doors then another form of upeka is equanimity as effort virya upeka or viri upeka 
and so this refers to a balanced effort, an effort that is neither too strong or tight nor too lax or too weak. And so if effort is too lax or not enough, then that effort uh, that should be increased. If effort is too strong, too much, then that needs to be reduced. And as we have seen, equanimity has this function of um, reducing excess or uh, rising when there is a lack. And in all the different stages of insight knowledge, this equanimity as effort can be uh, experienced. Another form of equanimity is Vedanupika, the equanimity as feeling. And feeling we refer to as Vedana. And we know there is pleasant feeling, there is unpleasant feeling, and there is neutral feeling, or pleasant, but neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And so this is Upeka Vedana. So with Upeka Vedana, if there is a, a pleasant, pleasurable uh, object, then there is no liking. If there is an unpleasant, uh, bad, painful object, then there is no dislike or anger towards that object. But the mind stays perfectly balanced or stays perfectly equanimous towards this object. And that state of uh, Vedanopeka is compared to a temperate climate, which is neither too hot nor too cold. And finally, we will go to the proximate cause of equanimity. As in the other cases, the Buddha only mentioned frequently giving careful attention as the proximate cause for uh, equanimity to arise. And in the commentary, five uh, proximate causes for the enlightenment factor of equanimity are mentioned. And the first one is to have an equanimous attitude towards all living beings so that one is neither uh, so that one is not too attached to other beings. So that means being careful of uh, not falling into the trap of uh, too much liking or being attached uh, to a living being, but trying to have a more uh, equanimous attitude towards other living beings. 
Then the second uh, point here is a balanced attitude towards inanimate things or objects. So also develop an equanimous attitude towards objects or material possessions. Also here, trying not getting too attached to one's possessions or material things. It is said that Achan Cha, the great Thai master, one time uh, he was offered a new glass and getting this new glass uh, then he mentioned to the person who offered him this glass that um, receiving this glass he would already see it as broken so knowing that one day this glass uh, is going to break and so not getting too attached uh, to this glass using it as long as it is whole, not broken but then when the day comes when this glass breaks no big deal <laughs> then the third point is to avoid people who are deeply possessive or to avoid people who lack equanimity so again here the kind of persons we associate with or uh, we should uh, avoid is quite important so if we spend a lot of time with people who are extremely possessive then this will not have a very beneficial influence on us so if we want to become more equanimous ourselves then it's better uh, to choose persons who are fairly equanimous themselves and so this uh, is the fourth point like associating with those who are not too strongly attached to beings or belongings to associate with those who are fairly equanimous and the last point is to incline the mind to arouse the enlightenment factor of equanimity so again just kind of to incline direct the mind into that direction so now we have gone through these seven enlightenment factors having looked at the different characteristics manifestations functions and proximate causes and so to finish with this series of talks on the Bojangas um, let's have a look at these uh, enlightenment factors uh, in regard to their causal relationship because some of these enlightenment factors are causes and others are effects and so when one develops those enlightenment factors who are causes then those enlightenment factors which are effects 
will naturally develop in one's practice. So in this way the development of the causal factors includes within the development of those factors which are effects. And so there are two enlightenment factors which are regarded to be causes and these are the enlightenment factor of mindfulness Sati, Sambhojanga, and the enlightenment factor of energy or effort, Virya, Sambhojanga. And those enlightenment factors which are the effect are the remaining five ones. So the enlightenment factors of investigation of tamas, investigation of states, the enlightenment factor of rapture, the enlightenment factor of tranquility, the enlightenment factor of concentration and the enlightenment factor of equanimity. Among these seven enlightenment factors, the most basic and principal uh, factor is the enlightenment factor of mindfulness. And when the Buddha explained these seven enlightenment factors, he gave mindfulness the preeminent place. And we can discern uh, different reasons for this. One is the fact that the mindfulness, the enlightenment factor of mindfulness, is the cause for other uh, <coughs> enlightenment factors to arise. And another reason is the enlightenment factor of mindfulness has the characteristic of uh, thinking into the object and also kind of remembering uh, to be mindful. And this leads to the third reason and this is the fact only when mindfulness is present, when it remembers to be aware and when it sinks into the object, only then can the other enlightenment factors perform their res respective functions. If mindfulness was not there, then the remaining mindfulness uh, enlightenment factors uh, could not perform their work or their function. And Saido Uindaka in his book on the Bojangas, he used the following example to make this point clear. A well-known uh, surgeon makes an appointment with uh, a patient who, un who needs to undergo a major surgery. And so this surgeon, he also informs a team of doctors and nurses who have to assist him in this surgery. And so on the day of the appointment, the patient is there, all the doctors and nurses are there, but the surgeon has forgotten the appointment. 
And although all the doctors, the nurses are there, the patients are there, they cannot do their work. They cannot uh, do, perform what they should perform. But luckily, then the surgeon remembered that he had this appointment, that he had to do this surgery on this day. And so he rushes to the hospital, goes to the operation theater, and so then having the surgeon there, then all the doctors and nurses can perform the work. And so, yes, uh, although the patient, all the doctors and the nurses uh, would have been there, and doctors and nurses, they know what to do, but not having the surgeon there, they uh, could not do their work. But luckily, the surgeon remembered uh, that appointment, and that probably saved the patient's life. And so, it's very much the same, like in our endeavor to attain Nirvana, that state which is free from aging, sickness and death. For this endeavor, uh, we need an enlightenment factor of mindfulness, because only when mindfulness is present can the other factors perform their work or their function. So mindfulness is compared with the surgeon and the remaining factors are compared to the assisting doctors and nurses. If all these different enlightenment factors do not have the opportunity, the chance to perform their function, then uh, liberation, enlightenment becomes impossible. Only with mindfulness on the scene and uh, when mindfulness does its job can the other enlightenment factors do their uh, respective uh, jobs. And then uh, complete liberation uh, is possible, then enlightenment is attainable. So just as the uh, surgeon is vital uh, for the vital factor for the patient's uh, survival, so is mindfulness the main factor uh, for the other enlightenment factors, because only then uh, as a teamwork, can they perform their work, their functions, and uh, only then the attainment of Nibbana is possible. So, we should develop this two factors which are causes, namely uh, the enlightenment factors of mindfulness and effort.
accompanied by effort. So with some effort in the practice and being mindful of objects as they arise in the body and mind, then gradually the mind calms down and starts to stay uh, with whatever mental or physical object is observed. And so being able to stay or stick with the object is concentration. So this means the enlightenment factor of concentration. And so when a certain level of concentration is there, the mind uh, becomes more tranquil and also rapture arises. So then we have the enlightenment factors of rapture and tranquility. And later on the mind becomes very balanced and this impartiality of the mind towards the object is the enlightenment factor of equanimity. And so then when the mind is equanimous, observing all the objects with great ease and in comfort, then the nature of the objects observed can be clearly realized. And so the understanding or realization uh, of the nature of the objects, that's the enlightenment factor of investigation, investigation of states. So with that then uh, all the enlightenment factors are present. So we have seen these enlightenment factors, the bojangas, are also said to be medicine, medicine for perfect health, both perfect mental health and physical health. And as I mentioned, I think it was in my very first talk about the Bojangas, at one time a monk asked the Buddha what was meant by factors of enlightenment or in which sense they were called factors of enlightenment. And the Buddha said simply, because they lead to enlightenment, they are called factors of enlightenment. So, we'll conclude this talk here. May all of you be able, uh, by developing the Bojangas, to become free from all diseases, both mental and physical ones, and may you be able to be carried by these seven Bojangas very swiftly to Nibbana.